Are you looking to take your knowledge of faith to the next level? Oh, yeah! You've come to the right place. Welcome to Post-Christian Pastors, broadcasting from the Steel City, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The podcast hosted by four pastors as they discuss relationships, faith, pop culture, current issues, and much, much more. Hey everybody, welcome to Post-Christian Pastors. Yes! About wow. The boys are back. Well, not Mike. But the <laughs> Mike. Boy, Mike is not here. But the boys are back. Hey everybody, it's been a long time since we talked to you. Uh, a lot of people thought we got banned by Trump. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we've had I've had some crazy phone calls and uh, emails saying, "Where are you? Are you dead? Are you banned? Have you crossed the border? Uh, where <laughs> yeah. where are you? Are you been censored? Um, you know, like all kinds of stuff." But I think we some people thought we relocated to Canada. Or, yeah, yeah. So they kicked yeah. us out. <laughs> we are back. It's good to be uh, back. This is our actually first podcast since the election. Wow, that's crazy! First crazy, podcast crazy. of the year too. It is so. I uh, we started a little bit over a year ago, so this show That's began right. a little bit over a year ago. If you're just joining in, I am Mark Helsel, along with my buddies uh, today, my friends, my co-conspirators, <laughs> um, especially Marv. This uh, <laughs> is a conspiracy. Yeah. Uh, so why don't we go around and uh, introduce ourselves really quick and uh, let everybody know uh, what we're all about here at Post Christian Pastors. All right, I'll go first. Uh, my name is Marv Nelson, and uh, you know I'm a pastor at Allegheny Center Alliance Church. Planted a uh, college church for students uh, at the University of Pittsburgh and Carnegie Mellon University. We've been on campus having uh, weekly services for four years now. So cool, it's pretty cool. Well, welcome back, everybody's Glad to hear your voice again. I'm sure listening I'm, in their car I'm, right now or on their their iPod or their whatever. I just am glad that they're listening. Yes, they are listening. It's my voice. It's probably your voice they're listening to. Oh yeah, my buttery voice. It <laughs> is. Yeah, we're we're back in the studio Slow and we're just uh, jazz having a great time. <laughs> there will be no jazz on this. Slow jam the news. <laughs> you All ever right. see that? Well, it's one of my favorite segments. There's one other person here. Yeah, we're well. Mike's not here, so Mike. Sorry, you're gone. No, Mike will be back. He's just not we, here we today. Think. We think. Mike. He Mike. keeps coming up with excuses like, I have to do my laundry. Yeah. Mike is. Uh, I, I know if Mike, you're listening. I have to go watch the Cleveland Indians. Yeah. Mike's. Well, guess what Mike told me? Mike told me, he said, the Cleveland Browns are going to be good this year. And I laughed. I laughed. <laughs> Did he really say that? Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh. I said, Mike, always. There's always hope Poor for this Mike. time of year. He said, this is the best time of the year to be a <laughs> Cleveland Browns fan. <laughs> yeah, it is. So Mike's holding out hope. He's not here. So we'll hold out hope he'll be here next week, our next podcast. So uh, next up. John Price here on the mic. Hi, John. How are you guys? Good to be back with you. It is good to be back. Yeah. Yeah. So what's happened in all your lives over the last couple couple weeks? I'm sure the or months. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the yeah. listeners are wondering what happened to you people. Anything anything uh crazy go on over the last few weeks? Any uh travel, any fun stuff? Just raising babies? That's Marv. <laughs> yeah. Raising babies. Raising babies. Making them and raising them. Well, one great thing is that my son decided that he could sleep through the night now. So I am like 
energized. Fresh. You're fresh. I'm ready to go. Nice. I mean, you might have heard me in the past, like, podcast going, it's time for post. But now it's like I could just go for seven hours. Mark's a new man. It's a beautiful thing. Strong like bull. That's right. That's right. Let's, uh, let's, you know, let's make this thing happen. All right. Mars yeah. ready to go. Yeah. That's good. John, you know, any? We've had some good times over since our last, you know, we obviously the holidays, mm-hmm. went through the holidays, and then um, my uh, family was able to take a little nice vacation. My wife and I went to Cancun, Mexico together, and Ooh. my kids spent, you know, few days with their grandparents down in Florida, and then we flew back and took them to Universal Studios, surprised them with a trip to Universal Studios for Christmas. Nice. Wow. So, that was fun. Good things going on in the Price House. Yeah, we had a little bit of a, you know, kind of fun times there, and the kids, they got to see Harry Potter World and all that kind of stuff. Nice. I thought taking my son to the took them to Harry Potter World? was a big deal. You heretic. Oh. (laughs) It was awesome. It was so good. (laughs) I know. I'm just kidding. I can't believe you. I can't. Gosh. Who watches that stuff? We need to have an intervention. Well, actually, I haven't ever. I actually haven't watched the. Movies. I haven't watched the movies either. I've read all the books, but I've never. Watched <laughs> okay, well, I mean, at least you're every familiar. Time, every time someone brings up Harry Potter on me, they'll say like, uh, "You seen the movies?" And I go, "No." And all of a sudden, because I'm a pastor, they think, "Oh, he's one of those. You, you're one of those. You you don't like you. You think it's about witchcraft?" And I'm like going, "I always have to feel. I have to feel like I have to give a disclaimer <laughs> where I go. It's the same thing about drinking. Like if I don't drink when I'm out, people are like, oh, you're a pastor. You don't drink. I'm like, no, actually, I, I'm okay with drinking. It's all right. You know, calm down. Moderation. But, but yeah, but pot, Harry Potter. I'm the same way. I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm I'm cool. All right, it's not about. I'm fine. I don't you know? Don't think I'm judging you right now. <laughs> he he <laughs> starts weird. off. He starts. I'm I'm a hip pastor. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, cool. I no, I am all I, about Harry Potter. I'm definitely not a hip pastor. I have no skinny jeans. I have no $65 haircut. And, um, and, and no, you have no and beard. No, and I have no beard. That's true. I'm not a, a metrosexual either. And you're not wearing plaid. And I'm not wearing plaid. And I also do not have a fake tan. Mm. Well, that right. would be... That would be older. That would be mega church pastor. I do. Yeah, that's mega church. That's like Joel Osteen. Yeah, I didn't know he had a fake tan. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if Joel's is fake, but somebody's is fake. (laughs) Is he even tan? I worked for a guy who had a fake. Well, let's not go Uh, there. That's not. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, um, well, well, we are back, and it is. uh, I mean, America has shifted since we. Since we did a podcast, so we we went around this table last time we were here and talked about who we were going to vote for, mm-hmm. and uh, the title of this podcast this week is uh, Jesus and Trump Land. <laughs> so we are we are firmly planted in Trump Land. It's been kind of crazy, hasn't it? Since since the election, a lot has gone on in America, and uh, we're going to talk about a little bit of that today. We're also going to have a guest come on named Matt Nelko. I actually went to high school with Matt Nelko, but he works in the media media industry. He's actually won an Emmy. He's the only person I know who's won an Emmy, That's which pretty is cool. pretty cool. Yeah. So he's going to be coming on later. But uh, before we get to that, so guys, the whole world shifted kind of, what was that, November, what is the eighth? Something like that. I don't know. The sky was falling. Yeah, for some people it was Armageddon. Um, for, for other s- people it was heaven. For some people it was heaven. <laughs> and uh, and uh-huh. and you know we we deal with here a lot of people listen to this are Christians. So and and that was true on that too for Christians. Some people it was Armageddon. Some people it was the Savior, the Messiah. 
has arrived. And then people in between. And there was some people in between <laughs> who were just like, eh, I don't like either one of these people. <laughs> yeah. um, I think when we go around the table, like Mike voted for Trump, and uh, John, you voted for third the third party. So did I. And Marv voted third party, yeah. and I didn't say who I voted for because <laughs> I had not chosen yet, but I voted for Trump. <laughs> so we were... <laughs> <laughs> we were two and two. Nobody two voted for Hillary. No. Um, I reluctantly voted for Trump, um, but I did. I'll admit it. And um, so I just lost half the audience. <laughs> they hate me. Um, but I did because of the other option. So oh, your fault, Mark. It is my fault. Um, buyer's remorse. No. <laughs> no. Um, so let's. So uh, so here we are. We're what a couple sixty some days into a trump presidency so i thought we'd start with immigration so uh you know there's a lot going on in our mm. country right now about immigration and people's feelings about immigration uh we will talk about refugees in a minute here but because we did do a show uh, with a syrian refugee mm -hmm. i um encourage you to go back and watch that it or listen to that it's it's very good i was gonna say when did we go video <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we go video marv's new beard we, we we're going video we for just sure. lost our whole viewership marv's got a full beard now we should take a picture of it and put yeah it yeah we will it'll be our logo <laughs> just marv's beard yeah um like marco striker yes keep going for that mark mark you got a long way to go yeah. yeah oh long way <laughs> when we think about immigration you know you have trump wants to build a wall we have to keep illegal people out and we got to get people that are here that are legal out they're illegal they're illegal not legal people <laughs> we want to get illegal people out that's which is happening by the way legal people are getting sent uh back legal people yeah okay yeah. I haven't heard anything about that, yeah. but so we try to look at issues like this from a Christian perspective. Um, we try to help people navigate the conversation. Uh, a lot of people who voted for Trump were conservatives who voted for Trump who believe maybe that every illegal should go back. And we were talking before we came on that, uh, you know, we are a country ruled by the rule of law. Mm -hmm. And if you are in our country illegally, by definition, you are breaking the law. Right. right. And so, uh, so we talked about before we came on is should the country then send people home uh, who are here illegally, no matter how long you've been here, you're still illegal. Should we send you home? And then what kind of position should we have on that as the church? Because um, mm -hmm. we have a different responsibility than the state. Right. Because um, we are two separate things, the state and the church. We never want the church to be the state or the state to be the church. That's disastrous. Yeah. Um, always has been yep. when it happened. Uh, so I'll start with John. Um, John, give a little bit of background on this. John runs a, a bilingual, not bilingual, I'm sorry, <laughs> has a bilingual church in many ways so he has a service a hispanic service or our, our service spanish is, our service is bilingual so we okay. have spanish and english uh in, in every service in every service okay um and it's done different ways i mean it's um the way we the way we do it is either written or verbal or a combination of both and okay um, 
And so we, yeah, so so our services, and we have, you know, probably about, oh, we have a smaller, I'm, I'm a pastor of a smaller church, and we have about 30 to 40 uh, Spanish-speaking uh, people that are a part of our church right. in one form or fashion. And, um, you know, and we are kind of coming as a congregation to have to kind of, you know, work through what this means in light of, you know, who we are as a congregation, who right. we are as a church. And, you know, there, there's a lot of things, I think, that when you don't know people personally, mm-hmm. you make blanket statements on things that right. really don't make sense in the real world. Right. So just an example of that, um, you know, as, you know, we... Uh, we know of um, a family who um, all the children are American citizens. Born here, Born American here. citizens. Um, the, the Their mother is not an American citizen. Um, she's been here how long? She's been here for 42 years. So 42 years, she's in our country, she's a part of the society, working, right. I would guess, right? Right. And uh, she was brought here by her parents when she was two years old. Okay, so she, so had, she no had no say. No say in it, right. right. So she's here, you know, and um, she is literally scared to death about what this means for her and her Because family. she knows nobody in Mexico. She's been here 42 years. Right. Yep. She doesn't have any connections to that. No. That heritage, even though it's where she was born. Right. Yeah. I mean, if she was sent back, she would probably be destitute. Right. Um, in, in Mexico. Um, okay. So that, that, that brings up, that brings up this, this, this tension. Right. So you have the rule of law, mm-hmm. which says you're illegal. You are breaking the law every day you are here. So people would have to say just by the rule of law, you've spent 42 years breaking the law, or let's say even after you became an adult, Right. Okay, because you're a yeah. kid. So, yeah. so, but you became an adult. You've been breaking the law for that long. So, if I sent you back to your country of origin, mm-hmm. that would f- fulfill the rule of law. Okay. By the letter of the law. Yes. By the letter of the law. Yes. yes. Right, right. But compassion or, or even common sense. Common sense. <laughs> yeah. Right. You have this tension, which would say you can't do that. She's a productive member of our society. She belongs here. So what do you do? I mean, for all intents and purposes, she is an American. Right. More than she is American. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? So what do you do? What do you do when you're stuck between this issue, which is so political and so, I mean, so diluted by so many different factors? What do you do about that? What what do you do? Uh, Number one, what do you think the state should do? And number two, what do you think the church should do? Yeah, I mean, I'll jump into that. I I, want to first set up the stage with this to say that I think that the reason why people are uh, impassioned or emboldened against immigration is just one word, fear. Um, I think that they're afraid of uh, the people. Uh, they don't understand why they're here. Why they are we talking come. immigration from anywhere? Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. I mean, but but we can. I mean, we can nail it down to Mexico. I mean, there's, you know, there's there's a lot of immigration that comes from there, obviously. But I think there's just this fear, and and one of the main fears is which this. John brought up though that most right. the Mexicans that come here are across the border are not Mexicans. Yeah, they're right. 
from Central Ecuador, America. Central America. So, go but ahead. in our ethnic uh, depravity of understanding diversity, many people just because they look Latino would automatically assume you're Mexican. You're Mexican, right? Um, but I, I think the the largest fear that many people verbalize uh, is that they're afraid that their jobs will be taken. Um, right. I, I think it's just a a mirage for them to kind of uh, hide behind. Uh, something that is um, seems lighter, but I think it's actually just in a fear of ethnicity, uh, a fear of diversity or racism. Um, this sense of these people are coming in. Uh, I remember uh, in New York there was a, a a very prominent member of our church who was very upset that at McDonald's the menu was in Spanish and English. And he right. said, "We need to force them to learn our language." Uh, and so, just, it was now, just now on the surface. Just to push back against that, on the surface, um, this is why there there are a ton of countries that have problems with people assimilating into their culture, and they don't come like they don't go to Germany to be a German, right? So, I mean, you do. There has to be some assimilation, doesn't there, into the culture? Like you should. I mean, should you not have to, let's say, learn the language to be a citizen? See, I... I, I don't know. I'm asking yeah. the question. I'm I'm just throwing that out because this is where countries get into problems where people don't assimilate and they become just this huge subculture within a country. But see, we've never required people to do that. See, here's the thing that... Here's the rub for me, especially here in Western Pennsylvania. So you have tons of people who are... Uh, immigrant families yes right i mean you we have, we're a strong immigrant right area so, but most of our immigration came from eastern europe. western europe yeah right? yep. and so you you talk to some people here who the same people would say these people need to learn learn a language these people you know need to do this these people need to do that but you ask them about their grandparents they never learned it. They didn't learn the language yeah. mm-hmm. uh, at least not yeah. well enough to you know uh really you know have a you know uh, ability to you know communicate in English. They maybe learned to to speak it, maybe, but didn't learn to read it. Yeah, or I mean, write it. Yeah, or write it. So there's just this. I think there's this um, double. But my standard. question is: Should you though? Should they have? Well, well, let's let's because get back a lot to of the idea did. of compassion. Of, you know, that yeah. I was trying to say. I think yeah. we we got distracted from that, and then we could go down yeah. that road. I I think that that the church is called to a deeper compassion. We have a relationship. John has a relationship with this lady. I right. I think it it's it it is his duty as a pastor to try and protect her uh, because she gets deported, she'll be in depravity. Uh, like, th- there's just this reality. And her kids will suffer. Right. And so there's this sense of, like, we have to take it case by case. The, and I think the state needs to take it case by case because they need to see... Okay, but like, then how do you write a law that's case by case? So, like, do you say... <laughs> here's the problem. Do you say, well, she's been here 42 years, so she gets a pass or or he's been here 10 years so he doesn't get a pass like who makes that arbitrary time like what if i come in the country and i've only been what what if i legally come into the country i've only been here six months does that mean i automatically go home if you find me like that's what i mean like she's been here 42 years i've been here six months who decides or, or should there be something? I, I, I mean, think where's compassion? Should, where do you find right. compassion in that? That's my right. that's my question. If we are trying to teach or help people, is this podcast look beyond the rhetoric, the political rhetoric, which 
is necessary. You got to say you have to hash right. this out. How does the church help do this with compassion, or do we not have a say because we're not the state? Well, I mean, I think when it comes to the idea of legislation, maybe there should be an arbiter who looks at case by case. Now, I know people are going to say that's going to take a lot of time, that's going to take a lot of effort, uh, but if we really do want to be compassionate uh, and not throw people under the bus, I think it it would behoove the country uh, to, to take that time and spend that money to do something like that. Now, someone's saying, you know, Marv, you're ignorant. You don't know how many people and how many man hours that would take it. And, and maybe that's the case. But maybe we can set it up on a state legislation rather than, a, you know, nationwide. And we give the state the option to develop an arbitration system that would actually take it case by case. Uh, and we, I just don't think that there's that allowance. As the church, I think we also need to look at it case by case. If we have per, a person in our church who we know is a, a strong believer, someone who is very faithful to to the Lord and to the country, you know, I think if they're if if we look at it and say they're going to be forced to leave, I think that we as a church should should rally around them, give them the funds and the necessary needs that they would have. If we can't stop the legislation or the the law taking them out, I think we need to step up and take care of the poor. Uh, so and, you're saying stand in opposition to the state then? I, not necessarily. I mean, we sh- we we should at least well, there help are people they're making safe sanctuaries so or whatever. The, here's the deal, and we don't want to talk about this because then it talk, then you know as as another issue to the whole to, to the whole conversation. But there are legal avenues for people to become citizens, right? Right. Right. And help them get and that. help them get that. But what the problem is is that you have to have lots and lots of money. <laughs> yeah, is that true? It I don't. I true. don't honestly know. Or lots and lots of time, or or the right friends. Yeah. Right. Right. And so what happens is you have you know illegal immigrants who you know who don't have lots of extra money. Money mm-hmm. don't have. The time yeah. and don't have the connections, right? And so um, there are legal paths. There are paths that are in the law for right. people to actually become citizens. But you have to have an incredible wealth of knowledge. You have to have an incredible connection of relationship, and you have to have an incredible amount of money in order for it to to work properly. Right. Um, and so you know, as the church, you know, I think one way that we can serve is to. You know, to leverage uh-huh. our time, talent, and treasure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there's We're the, always back to that. <laughs> the triple T. <laughs> the triple T. <laughs> the dreaded triple T. Yeah. You know, I mean, but it's interesting, though, if you think about, like, the like the Jubilee principle in Scripture, right? Mm-hmm. The Jubilee principle was... Yeah, inform people what that is, because I don't so think a lot of people you, you know what that think is. So, think back to the Old Testament, the Jubilee was that, you know, every... Um, you know, every sa- every old? Sabbath year was, so a, ju- was year. a year of Jubilee, right? And then every 50 years was a Jubilee year. Um, and uh, well, it was a Sabbath year every seven years, and then the Jubilee was every 50, and which Israel never, <laughs> never celebrated. <laughs> never celebrated. And it, what, what is the Jubilee? So the Jubilee what was basically was this idea that God instituted where um, basically things were put right, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that had kind of been off kilter has been put right. So, you know, if you, uh, if you were you know, in a situation where you had to sell yourself into indentured servitude. It ended. It ended, mm-hmm. right? You were released. You were sent back. If you had to sell your land, which everybody had a piece of land because that was how you, you know, how you cared for your family. If you had to sell your land because you became in a 
in a situation where you know you had let me say like a, a husband died and left his you know widow she could sell right. the land to have money but then her her kids if she had any would never have that you know um that land, land yeah. right they'd never have a so the land returned to them uh, land returned to them okay so you know, it was this idea that god instituted where there were avenues of restoration avenues and of, to keep people out of poverty keep and people what out of came pop- with poverty right, exactly and so if you think about that god was calling his people to leverage mm-hmm. you know leverage what they had for the good of others right, right? Mm-hmm. um and so when we think about that in scripture you know that's what we're called to as the church you know, we're called to be Jubilee people. You yeah. Know, if the people of Israel had actually celebrated the year of Jubilee, they would have been yeah. known well, as... Well, Jesus' first pronouncement <laughs> right. is, right, I'm here to bring right. the year of Jubilee. Jubilee. Right, right, exactly. The year of the Lord's favor, which was yeah. Jubilee. which is a way of t- talking about the year of Jubilee. Right. right. And that's what who we're supposed to be as God's people. We're supposed to, supposed to be people of the Jubilee. Yeah. I agree, but the United States is not... No, the people no. of and the we, Jubilee. And so I don't that's, think that we can, but that's where the legal means. Right. You know, and, and if there is no way to to stop deportation, uh, that's where I come back to the, the place of compassion, where the church should take care of the poor in that process. Because, you know, maybe the, the person in your church for the last five years, say she's been there for five years, has been tithing to the church. I mean, there's a responsibility to take care of our members as church, as pastors, as church leaders, but also the poor in general. You know, in fact, like I would go far as to say is that we as the church have handed over our our duty to take care of the poor to the government. Sure. We've allowed the government to, to do that, and, and now we're seeing some of the dissonance that's happening right. with even some of those those fundings that, that go to the poor. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and well, so so I think it's it 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 is our job to take care of the poor. But the, the Holy Spirit will lead us on how to do that for case by case. I don't think it's going to be a blanket statement. Everyone is going to get this from the church if they're an illegal immigrant. Right. I mean, okay, you can't so, say that. So right. the number that was thrown around the election election and still being thrown around was like 11 million, something like that, isn't it? Undocumented aliens in the United States. So what do you guys favor doing? Do you, do you, do you favor there being a path to becoming citizens here? Uh, do you do you guys favor that? Like, so your friend who goes to your church, who's forty two, do you have do you have a uh, do you think she should have a path without fear to become a citizen of the United States so that she's no longer living? Because I've heard people say that look, illegals get taken advantage of too when they're not citizens. Mm-hmm. So actually, giving them a path to citizenship brings them out of the shadows. Where look, we know the scripture is full of the weak being preyed upon. Right. I mean, Amos talks about you sold people for a pair of sandals. Right. So and it, how angry God was that people were sold for for, for sold at all, but right. sold for a pair of sandals. So so. It, does it help illegals to have a path to come out of the shadows where they cannot be uh, exploited by mm-hmm. people? I, I think the the process should be simpler for citizenship. Okay, so I we're th- saying simpler. Yeah, I, and I think it should be uh, a lot more direct. <clears throat> like you, like John said, you need to have a whole lot of information. You need to know have the right connections and the time. And and one of the things that illegal immigrants don't have is time. Okay. Because if they do come out of the shadows, they're they're taken away. Yeah, yeah. I, I, John, what about you? I, I do think I think there needs to be a, a simple 
way to citizenship. Like I think, so we have to we have to realize that I think a majority, and this is the thing, you know, for political reasons, people, you know, paint illegal immigrants in you know a really bad light, right? You know, With one brush too. Yeah, right. Yeah, oh, one yeah. brush, right? Yeah. Which, but um, but but by the way, anybody listens podcasts, the woman you're talking about. She obviously stands in stark contrast, absolutely to to that right to that uh, stereotype, right? And you know, and quite frankly, any immigrant that I've ever met, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, uh, now, you don't have a problem with sending back like violent criminals or no, people no. that are people that are disrupting right. society, not at all. Okay. No, um, but I think people who are you know otherwise law-abiding citizens, right? Um, because quite frankly, I mean, the woman I'm talking about, she didn't have a choice. She came here too. Yeah. yeah, she was brought here, right? right? She didn't have a choice. She wasn't given the choice. Hey, right. do you want to stay? <laughs> you know, her yeah. parents brought her. Right. Yeah, you know, and um, and I think in in situations like that, I think we have to give a a legal, simple way to come and and find, you know, and find uh, find citizenship for for these people. And quite frankly, we need them. Yeah, and, <laughs> right. and to that point, I think we're circling back to the conversation we had about being a country of immigrants that came from Europe. I mean, look at Pittsburgh, Yeah. right? Pittsburgh alone has benefited from just one immigrant, Carnegie. Mm-hmm. There's a right. Carnegie Mellon University. Mm-hmm. There's Carnegie libraries all over the place. He was an immigrant. Right. And he came with absolutely nothing. Right. And and he he created a lot of things and that that here that we see all around us in in the city of Pittsburgh and I think that people should be given the opportunity to do that. There, there's a drive uh, to have opportunities that they don't have in their country, mm-hmm. and when you have that type of drive and you get the opportunities, they're going to utilize them and and produce well for the country. I mean, think about how much tax dollars Carnegie Mellon University brings to the state uh, the state of Pennsylvania. Right. Uh, like ridiculous amounts right. of money. Right. Yeah. And so you're saying that we we still benefited off of that immigrant uh, as a country. Right. It wasn't just that he stole right. our resources. Sure. He actually gave us more resources than he actually probably right. produced for himself. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask you guys, uh, wall or no wall? No wall. I don't. I actually don't think it, that's a... It's like, not a relevant question. It's not a relevant question because, quite frankly, most most, most people don't, don't come, come across, across them. <laughs> exactly. Most people flying on an airplane. Yeah. Uh, now, now I will say, I will say, like when I was in Israel, they had a really high nice tech, wall. high tech. <laughs> no, they had some walls. They had some walls, but they had a really high tech fence that did help. It kept people from coming across. I mean, they knew exactly who was coming in the country. Like. Like the guy who was our guide in Israel told me, like he used to work on the wall duty. And he was like, one night at three o'clock in the morning, I went out. We got the alarms all tripped. Everything went off. Like, look, you can jump the White House fence and be on the be on the <laughs> right. grounds for eighteen minutes, right. eating a picnic lunch or whatever. I mean, like, come on, like we're we're like ridiculous. Like we can't even yeah. you know protect the White House. But they but in in Israel, he said. He got everything, bells and whistles going off, drove out there with a group of guys, and there's a family of raccoons. 
<laughs> who set off the alarm and literally he did, he's like i could have shot him but he said i shoot them all all away and he said hour later alarms went off again went back out there was the same family of raccoons he said all night they kept setting off the alarms they finally got him to get go back to <laughs> their ridiculous. own country go back to your <laughs> own country, your country right? and um, they went away but his point was we have a very high-tech security yeah. system here that does keep people out even raccoons um and you know could we do something is there is there an option to do something like that that would help that we want to keep we want to keep people troublemakers but here's the deal like you talk about a wall i mean people are going to find a way around it and and all of a sudden it's going to become irrelevant we have an ocean Sure. Right, I mean, people can swing <laughs> people around. just go around in, the wall in the ocean. I mean, and 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 you yeah. might say, well, they can't afford it. They need to walk. Well, someone's going to develop a pathway. Yeah. that's going to be cheap enough to get from Mexico to yeah. California or something like that. They're going to wrap around, and 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 you just we wasted all that money. Yeah. I mean, that's what I. That's what I also learned in Israel was, you see these amazing walled fortresses, and you go, "How did anybody ever get in here?" And then every story is always, "Well, they did eventually." So it's like, sooner or later, the right. walls aren't going to work. Yeah, I mean, I just don't. I just don't think that's the. I, I. I don't have. I think that as a as a sovereign country, right. we have the responsibility in the, in the to you know, to def, you know, to defend our borders, yeah. to keep our borders. And that's what I'm safe, trying to get at. Yeah, those type of things. But at the same time, it's you know, I think. Um, when we have people who are here who are, you know, uh, giving to society, who are part of, who are part of American society, who are, you know, good <laughs> citizens, we need a way for them to become legal, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I, I think it's a, it's a both and. I think you know, as a, right. as a, uh, as a government, they have. The responsibility to protect our borders and to protect our people. Right. As the as the government, they also have the responsibility, I think, to create avenues for people who are here who have who proven are not, themselves, proven to, themselves be, yeah. to you know to basically be American mm-hmm. to become American legally. And then I think as the church, we have you know the responsibility uh, to um, you know to provide. Uh, to be compassionate, to care for foreigners, to care for foreigners, to care yep. for the sojourner amongst us. That's a us. direct, direct command, right? And so, you know, I think you know, um, there's different layers of what we're required, right? Right, and so, and we have to understand where we fit in that, right? And mm. and like I said, I think the church and the country have different um, avenues to go about it, a and different responsibilities, right? So another part of Trump land, living in Trump land, is... Um, How many parts are we going to do here? Because there are a lot. Yeah. We, <laughs> this is going to be a four-hour podcast. We haven't done one in four right, months. Just make, let's just so. make up for last night. Yeah. <laughs> Buckle in, everybody. Here we go. You're driving to Myrtle Beach. <laughs> That's longer than four hours. Yeah, it is. <laughs> D.C. From yeah, here. That's yeah. right. When you get to the Washington <laughs> Monument, shut us off. We'll be saying goodbye. <laughs> Drive to Trump. Yeah, yeah drive right go. to Trump. Right. Yeah. So, so, uh, so along the hills of the immigration thing, we have this travel ban. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, here we are. This refugee. Well, let's talk about. Re- it's like a, you know, people have, are up in arms about we're turning away refugees, 
and we're making it impossible for people and man this this flies right into the face of the church mm-hmm. and christian believers because we we have a responsibility to take care of refugees yeah um it's the worst refugee crisis in in the uh the world the history i think since world war ii right um and so here we are in the midst of this humanitarian crisis and we have america which has taken in some refugees i've seen the numbers you know they're it's not it's not a small amount of people i mean compared to how many refugees there are right but it's it's also not it's not a large number um so here we are and, uh, and just to make this quick but we are i think a lot of christians you know they hear these six or seven countries there's been two different you know orders executive orders now um so there's been there, there's been all of this stuff and i think christians are often caught between their compassion and and they want to help people who are refugees but they're also and i just you know speaking for some of the people that go to my own church you know there there's a safety issue they look mm-hmm. at it they look at it as i mean look yesterday in in london, london but i just heard before we came in i heard that it was a british born right. exactly. citizen so it wasn't it was a radicalized yep. you know homegrown right. uh terror so maybe that's a bad example but i think people look at it and go safety keep america safe you know we've heard that in trump land mm-hmm. a lot man what is a christian to do yeah in the midst of their compassion but also it's compassionate to keep people safe in our neighborhoods too right i, I right. think we have to look at statistics yeah uh I, I i think that the statistics are in favor of the refugees you look at how many well, terrorists overwhelmingly right. yeah. yeah i mean i i i venture to say i think recently someone said there are there are zero terrorist attacks that have come to our borders in recent years from refugees now uh, there have now to push back on right, that right there have been refugees who have been arrested right for plotting Correct. Correct. terrorist attack in the united states but attacks that have actually happened, happened. right zero and, and i would well say, no you've got the you've got now that wasn't a refugee but that was an immigrant the guy who came from uh who his wife came over the san bernardino san bernardino the guy that shot for like 15 of his co-workers Right. That was a couple of years ago. Trump yeah. was all over that. Right. That guy brought a Pakistani woman over, but I think he was a natural born. I yeah, and so. I don't but think But she it was, wasn't. Right. It wasn't a refugee. No, it wasn't a refugee, right. no. So my, my point is the, the statistics overwhelmingly are in favor of refugees actually coming to receive help, especially when we when we had the, the ban on men for a while mm-hmm. and said women and children are to come. I mean, like that that was an amazing amazing thing to ensure the safety of the children mm-hmm. uh now i know some people even agree, disagreed with obama on that uh banning men for a while to come through as refugees mm-hmm. but i think it was an important aspect and i think the church is called to it in fact before we continue i just really want to honor my uh, my senior pastor as well as our denomination the christian missionary alliance they actually wrote letters uh or signed letters that were going to um the white house yeah, saying, the you, you can't do this mm-hmm. um right. you know this this is not a, a, an appropriate ban uh on on refugees and so you know that that's my personal stance look at statistics um who has actually been causing the trouble and uh, why hinder or um, hurt people 
that are not a part of the problem. Right. And getting into the country on the refugee program is the hardest way to get in here if you wanted to cause us harm. Right. Right. In fact, you would probably not go through that 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 way. You would come you would come on a work visa or a student visa or something like that. Yeah. Right. Like all the 9/11 terrorists did not come through the re- re- as refugees. No. no. Yeah, and I think that's the I think that's a good point. I think we have to realize that you know we have a vetting process, mm-hmm. and they have to pass through that process, right? And so, let the process work. Let people come in who are in need, and welcome them into a safe place because you know they are they are experiencing incredible um, discord at the very at the. <laughs> At the very least, right. that's a nice way to put it, um, and to to be able to offer, you know, asylum, a safe refuge, um, I think is you know something that countries that have the ability to do that should right. We should yeah. offer you know safety um, when we're able to. I mean, you look around the world at, the, at you know the different refugee crises around the world, and you look and say, you know, we have an incredible incredible issue that is not being addressed um and there are you know you know there are things there are real uh concerns sure there are real you know real issues that have to be addressed but if we just say i I think this goes back again to the whole immigration thing you know when we just have blanket Mm -hmm. policies that cover everybody Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it, you're 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 hindering the majority of the people. Right. Yeah, and you're not you're not allowing for um, common sense. Um, you're you're react. It's always reactionary, right? right it's right. always out of some sort of fear, fear, uh-huh. or self preservation. That may not be fear, but may be, have other you know issues you know layered in there. So I think we have to have you know a more nuanced way that we look at. At yeah. these issues and not right. just make blanket statements so i mean refugees obviously have been politicized right okay there there are people we, we, we got to remember right yep. they're real people real stories mm-hmm. that have now been politicized right yep. um and we we cease to see them as real people when they get politicized so right. the church so people listening to this right and let's remember that refugee camps aren't safe places either right right <laughs> like, especially for christians yeah, well, yeah, for Christians or any any anybody any, any mi- vulnerable any minority sect, yeah, minority or vulnerable, or any vulnerable person, yeah. yeah, right. Now, let me. Uh, I was going to ask something else, but yes, you reminded me of something. So, there are a lot of people in the United States who will say, and I, and I think there's a lot of people that work with refugees who will say, refugees don't want to go thousands of miles away to another culture where they don't know anybody, where they they have no roots. Do or you resources. yeah or resources or do you believe that the United States should set up and whether it's militarily or whatever safe places for refugees to go, hoping that they're that the countries United States and others are working towards ending what is causing the refugee crisis so that those people can return. To me, that always sounded like a great option. But I saw somebody post something the other day of like, why do I want to come to America? And the picture was America. And then they said, or go back to this. 
because that is destroyed. Like if you want to go back to Damascus, mm-hmm. you're going back to, I mean, that's a destroyed place. It has to be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Right. And is that the best, I mean, how does that get done? How is that, how is that the best place for them to go back to? So I've always been on the opinion that create safe spaces near where they, near where they are so that nobody's getting killed. People can go to school, they can get education, whatever. But then with the, with the plan of moving them back in to their area, rather than bring them all the way to the United States. I don't know. What do you, or do you bring them here for a short time? And then I don't know. I mean, that's, there's smarter people than me that deal with this every day. But, but I wonder, I mean, if if we would think about this, like if, if Allegheny County where we are all at got attacked and we had to move and let's just say Pennsylvania got attacked and, and we had to move to California. Well, that actually is a bad example because like we would probably, <laughs> <take that. laughs> but if you, but no, but I mean, if you moved us, let's say you moved us to Australia. <laughs> well, that's probably a bad example too. <laughs> Kansas. Let's, let's just say Kansas. Kansas. There we go. Come on. We just lost yeah. our Kansas listeners. <laughs> Kansas is a great place. But if you moved us to Kansas and we would, what we would, we would want to go home. We would right. probably, if you said, I can move you to Ohio. Right. Well, that's probably a bad example too. <laughs> no, if you want to move to Ohio and you'll be okay here and you're just a short distance away, or we can move you to Utah or something, you would probably choose Ohio. I think if you, you would say, I, I have, I, I, this is where my roots are. I can still see my family or I can still have connections. Yeah. But I don't I mean, know. That's I, the it, rub for me. You, is, you look at like the Ukraine, right? I mean, you could move around the Ukraine in that same similar distance, but you still are afraid of the KGB. Well, what I if mean, you were protected? That's what that, I'm saying. What if you were protected right. from ISIS? You were protected from, that, you know, whoever's causing. See, but then you're talking about America joining global politics and forcing their way in different countries. Like if, in order for us to, to say okay, we're going to take you back to Damascus or near Damascus, but we're going to set up a military. But you camp. can't let genocide happen. No, no. But <laughs> you can't. But the reality is, is that there, there's a whole host of things that we have to consider in that we can't let genocide happen. And I think the UN would be behind us moving forward. Right. However, we have to get approval from the UN to do something like that because otherwise, and well, why can't we work from, together with the UN and to from do those something sovereign like countries too? Right. I mean, <laughs> you yeah. can't just go in and yeah. be like yeah but if you're a sovereign country and you're killing hundreds of thousands of your own own people how sovereign are you how, how much how much do you get to be a sovereign korea yeah well again that's ridiculous too but but what have we done we can't do anything no we could have but <laughs> okay but the, <laughs> somebody the, the whole world like the whole world listen the whole world could step in and say you know look if you're killing hundreds of thousands of people, you don't you don't get the right to have borders. But you can't say that to a to a dictator. I mean, you just can't. I Take mean, them out. I'm, <laughs> see, and that's that's not the answer either. I mean, you know, it's it, that's where it becomes very to, to what you're putting. I'm not forward. saying these aren't complex problems, no, but yeah. what would you do if it was your family? It was if it was my family, and I knew that there was war torn areas. Well, you I, would run first of all, right? right? If you knew your kids. 
you could keep your kids alive, what would you do? I would, you honestly, would pack up the car. I would honestly leave and stay in Ohio or stay in Kansas because right. there's no guarantee. I've seen the destruction. I've seen how people have tried to secure me, and it did nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I would remain where I know that it's safer than going back. I would keep my kids safe. I would do everything I could to remain in that country or that state, for your example, yeah. because I want to I want to be safe. I know the realities over there. America can pretend like they know, but unless they're there, they're, they don't. And I do because I was there. So yeah. I, I so don't want to go back. So if I cross the board, so you're so you were saying, bring them. You they have to go somewhere, right? Because you can't let people just die. You, right. you can't. I mean, I know we do. Yeah, which mm-hmm. is, but if you have a chance to take them. Somebody has to come up with a better plan. You think that we could come up with a plan as to the world to to help people? And you know, it's kind of sad when you look at like Saudi Arabia has taken in zero mm-hmm. people. Um, there are there are countries that have taken in zero people because they know the implications of what it would mean for them. Well, it's not only implications, but I would. I, I heard this talked about too. Is that People who are refugee status flee to countries where the gospel has a foothold or the gospel did have a foothold in the past because they understand that in that culture, there is a, there is a, there is a, a, uh, a, a mandate that these people understand to take care of those who are in need. And there's also a mandate to, there's, there's also a mandate to, they see people, whether they're refugees or their own countrymen, they see people with honor, dignity, because they're created in the image of God. Yeah, but that's the Quran- where the gospel. I mean, look at it. I mean, look at it. Right. What, the, the I Quran, mean, honestly, let me ask Quran you. The Quran also speaks to that. It, okay, it, but what Muslim countries have taken in refugees? I, it, I don't think it's a matter of necessarily just the country. I think it's a, a fear of uh, because there's so many different sects of of mm-hmm. um, of the Muslim faith. Right. I mean, and, and they're they're toxic to one another. And so you're 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 going to look at a at a at a let's say there's there's two that I know that I'm not going to give their their right names, but there's labels: the inner jihadists and the outer jihadists. Those that believe the jihad is outside, that they need to fight the infidel right. outside, then there's the inner jihadists. I am the infidel. I, have to I need, fight what's I need inside, to fight right. what's inside. Sin, we'd call it. Right. So you take an inner jihadist into an outer jihadist country. Like That's not a recipe for a safety, safe thing, for that, especially for that inner jihadist. No, but you're asking Americans to do that. But we, ha- we, you're right about the gospel. We, we, we have a diverse faith. You know, you're going to walk into like Saudi Arabia. They're what, ninety nine percent Muslim, right? You also have to think. Remember, we we look at it a very monolithic. You know, Muslims <laughs> right. as one, you know, group of people. No, I know better than that. But. Right, but but that's the thing is we that's how we tend to think about it. But within the Muslim faith, there are a lot of different sects, right? And mm-hmm. so, and Absolutely. they don't, and they, they do don't not, make, they, they don't, don't get mix. along. They're like, and right. that's Calvinists why they and Armenians. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they separate Presbyterians and Baptists. Yeah. But but the reality, that's why they separate countries many times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They they made the the borders of their countries based off of the sect of like you could find. Okay. Something. I understand, so, but I, I guess saying. I'm asking the question. If you're Saudi Arabia, you're telling me you're not going to take any refugees when they're right next door to you. I yeah. can't answer that question. I can't answer. I, I know. I, think I know. I know. What do you mean loaded? Well, because no, I mean, of what I just mentioned. Go, go around all the other countries and ask, well, why haven't you taken anybody? 
You could you could ask that question. Right. I think it's a fair question. I just think that there's more issues at hand that we don't understand yeah. in yeah. a Saudi. I'm Arabia. not taking. I'm not letting us off the hook. Right. I'm not saying that. I'm just no, saying that. I'm just saying that it's sad that we can't come up with a with a response that could help actually help people. Right. And and I agree. Instead, with that. it's got politicized and and it's become. And I'm not sure that what Germany did was right either. Just like, hey, everybody, come in. Right. And right. What, what's going to happen there? Right. Like, like if there's no vetting process, right. it's right. not safe. Right. But I mean, you know, like. But you can't the, also let them die on the ocean. Right. You, you, you can't to let your, people die in rafts on the ocean. Right. Mm-hmm. To your point about the gospel being a refugee gospel, it, it really is. I mean, even back into the, the Israel days, um, the, there were cities of refuge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you look at, you know, these stories of even, even people inside the country who committed crimes could go to a church and claim sanctuary. Um, there, there were moments of refuge that were given uh, to, to criminals even uh, because refuge was an important thing. There were cities of refuge. There were places of refuge uh, all through the Christian history. And so I think right. it is incumbent upon us to be refugee people. But how do we do that well? Um, and, and, and many people are not just calling this a refugee ban but a Muslim ban um, because the countries that are banned – uh, in, right. in the initial in the initial ban are majority Muslim. So then you have to ask the question, is that what he was meaning to do um, or not? I don't know. I mean that's I, I guess you'll those are questions that you don't you don't you can't necessarily answer. Uh, so here in Trump land, you know, how do we as Christians because I think a lot of the Christians I talk to, they're just like, don't let anybody in. Like a lot of them are. They're just like, don't let anybody in. We need to take care of our own. Like we need to take care of veterans. We need to take care of. And I, and I go, well, that was, that's true too. That's a sad, mm-hmm. sad, mm-hmm. sad commentary. And maybe the whole thing is a commentary just on the church in general. Yeah. It's like, why don't you take yeah. care of the veterans? I think it's, we have to. Why don't you take care of the homeless? You like know, the church has more than enough resources mm-hmm. to take care of the homeless and veterans. Yep. Right. I think we have an unhealthy, in a lot of ways, uh, unhealthy nationalism. Oh right? yeah. So if you you know if you look historically, <laughs> we need to be careful. I think in terms of how we view our sovereign country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know we have, I think the United States. You know for many years um, would have not been. You know nationalism was. There's a pride there, but it wasn't nationalistic. Mm-hmm. We're we're moving into a nationalistic nationalistic understanding of of who we are, right? And when that begins to happen, you look at countries around the world where that has been happened in the past, mm-hmm. and the consequences are pretty scary, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I think you know the most well known would be Nazi Germany, right? That was right. that's the easy one to pick on, right? But, you know, there are others, you know, that we could go around the world and Rome. look at. Yeah, or, Russia. Right. Yeah, I mean, you can go around. You know. Rome, <laughs> the Roman Empire. Yeah, that's a kind of a big one. Yeah. <laughs> Just a yeah, little bit. Yeah. I mean, but you could go around <laughs> the world throughout history and see what does that, what, is, what are the end results? Mm-hmm. Usually it's domination and a force of your will upon other people. Right. Because you feel like you have the right way. <clears throat> I would even say, like, to, to, to the degree of nationalism we have currently – inside and outside the church, there's been a deification 
of our nation. It has become a god. Um, but we're the city on the hill. <laughs> that's I'm, what we made ourselves, right? That's what we. I mean, that's what we Jesus think, was right? talking about the church, <laughs> not, not America, <laughs> right? But Jesus was blonde hair, blue eyed, and wore an American flag. Oh yeah, because he wasn't from Israel, that's, right? <laughs> he was. He was like uh, like like John Smith said. He was from the future. He was more like America. Larry the Cable Guy, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's like country and uh, southern and. <laughs> now, sarcasm. I, now I have the picture Come on, John, of we're all right Our have, theology is sound t- But I'm we're saying gonna, yeah. to, to the point, all, all hilarity aside Many people worship America Yeah they, I mean it, it, Well, let, let at, me ask you if, you if you've abandoned God in your life Like as, for all intense purposes Why not? But I'm not because talking you, just No, I'm just Christian. saying because your security well, I'm not talking Christian I'm talking, yeah, Christians do Yeah because because a lot of Christians are, in a sense, practical atheists. Well, yeah. I mean... So, I mean, if you've abandoned really trusting God, really trusting right. God for, for everything, then why not, why not worship America? Because... It gives you what you want. It, yeah, right. <laughs> it protects my economic dream. Yep. And it keeps me in... It, Man, it's, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, and, and it keeps you safe. No, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, it keeps you safe. Right. And that's, look, Not Trump says, black. right? Trump says, I'm going to keep you safe. Not if you're black. Yeah, that's a whole, yeah, that was the last podcast. I know, I'm saying, yeah, but I mean, right. like, it keeps some people safe. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we have to, there's, there's, there's certain things that we have to remember as Christians, right? We, you know, in, in terms of when it comes to, you know, politics, when it comes to our, how we understand, you know, the where we live, our country, all that kind of stuff. You know, first and foremost, we are members of the kingdom of God. Yeah, mm-hmm. and right? see, that's the problem. That's, that right there is nobody preaches that. Right. No. But that is first and foremost. I mean, that's what Jesus preached, right? Jesus. The most. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of it's God. Near. Right. Yeah. The kingdom I is never, near, right? Honestly, I never even heard that hardly growing up. I went to an alliance church. Right. I never heard about the kingdom of God unless it was in heaven. Right. right. Exactly. It's not yes. now. It, right. and, and, and I think that there's a shift in that. Mm-hmm. I think that there's there's a new shift of seeing that heaven can be now. The kingdom of God is now. now. Right. Uh, and we're to live in that. Right. I, I have this conversation. Right. Who with lost people. that? Where? Well, there's. Where did people lose that? Where, okay, we grew up. I grew up evangelical church. You grew up, you know, I don't think they would have called well, it even that it, back then. It, but it was when we switched from theocracy cor- to democracy. So, or no, or even just like a, a, a corporate understanding of, of the church mm-hmm. to a very individualistic, mm. me and I, Jesus, you know. That and, well, of, and, you know. I, and I think, too. I've yeah, but who lost the verses? We just literally <laughs> lost the verses like the kingdom of God is now. Or, well, or I remember, the verses I remember waking important. up going, the Lord's prayer, like, thy I will be done on earth. Right, Why a, didn't anybody teach that? Right. Yeah, you well, know, I was like, because it mean, was about getting to heaven, right? It was right. Like, so I was yeah. getting out of here. <laughs> that's right. It's escapist yeah. theology. Yeah, right. I mean, and that, and that's comfortable. Yeah, where'd that come from? What, uh, oh, it came from uh, many different places. Yeah, yeah but in America, in the last fifty years, no, that's all it, I can it, pre- it, came, so I can, it really came up in the seventies. The escapism because of like uh, the the idea of was it because we we could blow we could kill everything now because we had nuclear well, weapons and was everybody the, was just kind of like let's get out of here. I, I think part of it is that there was fear. Uh, there was also the, communists the, are going to the take prevalence it. of the rapture uh, being a, a high high importance. Thief in the night, right? <gasps> I, mean, I saw that when I was a kid. I I did too. I they were cutting off heads. Of I know. Uh, I accepted <laughs> Jesus, but 
Really? really? Marv's that's, like, I'm running to the front. Don't cut my head off. Yep. I was like, Jesus. No, my dad actually showed that video in our church. But and, <laughs> but but I think but I, I think that it. was I saw it in church. That was the prevalent that was the prevalent push. And, and so there's this fear, like the world's always going to be against us. We have to go to the hills. Like no one's going to like us. We're all persecuted right now. It's 1970. Nobody likes us. Everybody hates us. This place isn't the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to like long for the kingdom, but then we still try and force things here and there. And it's. Do you think though the fear and paranoia uh, came out of World War II? Do you think it came it, out? Of it that? started well. The fear maybe, but it started before that. It started with the Second Great Awakening with a with a very individualistic focus on the gospel. John Edwards. No. Second great, that's oh, first yeah. great awakening. Yep. Second yep. great awakening, uh, the revivalistic sense of the church, right? Where it's like we're just trying to get people to make a commitment to Jesus. That whole idea, right? Right. Um, right. And I think it, that's where it started, and it's just kind of like it's it just grew into this like just monster of. <laughs> but, but the church must have lost its way. We weren't alive. I mean, the church must have lost its way in the early 1900s into you know world war ii and and stuff because why do you have a guy like billy graham like who comes up in the what late 40s 50s so why do you have a guy like billy graham why do you have a guy who's preaching the gospel and thousands of people are coming forward but they're all church people mostly because most of the population went to church in the 40s and 50s well what would you say it was 80 percent 80 75, yeah, 80? Yeah, it was a high percentage. I but, but I mean, a lot of the people coming right. forward to Billy Graham Crusades are people going to church. So my question is, where the heck was the church? What were they talking about in 1940s, 50s? What what were they talking about that a guy like Billy Graham has to... And Billy Graham, look, he's amazing, but he's a simple preacher, okay? It's simple gospel message, but people are like... I never heard this before. Yeah. Now I can I can I went to the Billy Graham Crusade in Pittsburgh in 1993 and I can imagine that people didn't hear the, hadn't heard the gospel would come forward but in 19 when Billy started preaching or started doing crusades in like Los Angeles where they're packing it out for seven nights straight or whatever um, what the heck Here's what they were preaching two words behavioral mod- modification yeah, moralism. Yeah, yeah, and, and well, that's why like we modernism was all about morals, mm-hmm. right? And yep. so when you when you talk only about morals, even if you you know sprinkle in some Jesus, um, <laughs> it, it people walk away thinking, "Here's what I need to do, and here's what I don't need to do." Yeah. Um, I mean, do you get my point about Billy Graham? Oh yeah. I'm not knocking Billy well, Graham. I think, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying he filled a void, right? Because. Right. Because there were obviously people sitting in churches. I know Not there's people the that are coming that mm-hmm. that are. I know there are people that are coming. They never heard the gospel in 1940s right. and 50s. But but man, we were a Christian nation back then, right? Mm-hmm. That's BS. Obviously, it was BS, right? And because I, because because there's no Billy Graham if we're a Christian nation. Well, yeah. You don't have to have. Well, dude, man. we we haven't, but we didn't. We weren't even founded upon Christian nations. <laughs> yeah. All right, we, we got to stop. By a bunch <laughs> of, I mean, you, you cultic leaders. We're I like mean, way off. The, theological liberalism was coming into its own in that in, right. in that time period, like in the early in the you know 20s, 30s, 40s. That was mm-hmm. theological liberalism was coming into its kind of heyday because hey everything is getting better look at how you know science and all this kind of stuff right, right. and everything's getting better 
and then, and then World, 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 World War II. And World I think, I think World the problem specifically really like woke people up. To I the, think uh, I, I think the problem of of heaven not being now <clears throat> is uh, MTD, moralistic therapeutic deism, because it's all about morals. It makes me feel happy, and God does not. He's not interactive in my my day to day life, and right. we like that. Mm-hmm. Like the the American Christian, that's that's their modus operandi for right. their faith, is that I I do the good things, I feel good about doing it, and there is a God, but He doesn't interact with me, and right. I like it that way because I can do whatever, whatever the heck I want. I want to do. Right. Yeah. Well, this has been an interesting conversation. This could be a we bonus. Just, podcast. We just covered. We just yeah. covered a whole lot of. <laughs> Well, you mean, should we, edit it out and make yeah. like a 30-minute bonus cut we didn't, we didn't even get to the Woman's March, <laughs> racial issues. It was I the mean, Lord saving us We'll from get there, yeah. but in Trump land, all those things happened too over the last four or five months. Is um, there's, some, there's some massive issues mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. What well, is an interesting place, Trump land. It is. And, uh, and whether you voted for him or not, he is your Our president. president. Yep. And, um, you know, as the church, we're called to do certain things, but... Um, I think that uh, it's going to be an interesting time for the church, and maybe God is allowing all these things to happen so the yeah. church actually wakes up. One yeah. thing that shake I was, me to wake me, baby. One thing that I was really convicted by by I'm a friend of baby. mine, uh, <laughs> a friend of mine, you know, when Trump was elected, he said, you know, he posted on Facebook and he said, uh, this, and this is a good friend, somebody I actually know. Um, he said, you know, um, he said when when President Obama was elected, he's like, I was. Uh, convicted by a friend to pay, to pray for him every day, and he said when he when he took office, I would have said I was opposed to him in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, he said as I prayed for him every day, God changed the way that I viewed him as the president, mm-hmm. and I and I I was convicted by that you know in terms of you know with with our current president, you know do we take the Bible seriously to, that calls us to pray for our leaders yeah, mm-hmm. and honor them and honor them doesn't mean we have to agree with them right but especially we, when he's writing stupid stuff on twitter right but do we <laughs> but do we pray for them in such a way that that we expect that god might in fact intervene yeah we, he might actually answer our prayers <laughs> he might actually answer our prayers and how's that going to change our right. our heart right right uh as well and so I, I, that'd be just a you know something that i would kind of cool and along along us. those lines i actually <clears throat> the day the sunday after the election uh, I I did a sermon with our college students called Honor the King, and I'll post it on the Facebook because hmm. I think it's an important uh, an important reminder. I actually wrote it uh, previously as a blog post and re-edited it for a sermon. I wrote it in the midst of Obama's uh, inauguration for the second time, hmm. uh, and and it would be ignorant, stupid, and uh, hypocritical of me if I didn't repost it after uh, after Trump. Yeah, and right. so I decided to make it a sermon to challenge our college students to to look at it. And so I'm going to post that on the Facebook because cool. I think it's an important, cool. um, an important view of that. Yeah. Well, one other part of Trump land that's been pretty pronounced is the media. Yeah. And uh, we're going to take a little break. And after we come back from our break, we got Matt Nelko stopping in, who is a Emmy Award winning journalist. Uh, for the last twenty some years, he's been working in New York City in the heart of the center of the media Fantastic. and so he's going to be joining us to talk about the media during the trump uh you know election stuff and even after the election and kind of how he sees the media if there's a bias and different things because 
the media is a hot topic. They've mm-hmm. become the topic, mm-hmm. not just reporting on the topic. So uh, we'll be back here in a minute on Post Christian Pastors with Matt Noko. Don't go anywhere. Well, welcome back here on Post-Christian Pastors. Hope you stuck around. And uh, we have our special guest today, and he's coming to us all the way from NYC, New York City. And uh, I actually went to high school with this guy, graduated, uh, 19, class of 1987. And um, and uh, yeah, we're a little old, but... Um, I was three. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, so uh, I'm going to introduce you here to Matt Nelko, and just to know, Matt is the only Emmy Award winner I know. So he has won an Emmy. So pretty cool. So you're talking to an Emmy Award winner here. He's an Emmy-winning award journalist and media consultant based in Manhattan. Over the course of his 28-year career, he has written produced, reported for, and anchored more than 33,000 newscasts. Wow. So the guys know what he's doing. Including such globally recognized shows as ABC World News with Diane Sawyer, Good Morning America, Nightline, and the CBS Evening News, as well as the ABC News. Digital, Digital and programming for Apple TV. His reporting and anchoring credits include CNN Radio, NBC Radio, He's going to have the best voice of us all on here. Yeah. NBC Radio, AP Network News, RTE, Air America Radio, and Sirius Satellite Radio. Now I'm intimidated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to our little podcast. Welcome, Matt Nelko. How are you? Great, great. Thank you very much for having me on. It's good to talk to a, a uh, former Beaver County resident. <laughs> well, I don't. I, I like to think that my heart is always still in Beaver County, so I, I don't want to say former. Okay, so we will not call you former. You are all actually true. If you're from Beaver County, you are always from Beaver County. Well, wherever. especially since my family is all still there. That's right. So, and in fact, I'll be coming home for Easter. All right, real oh, soon. Welcome so, back. Yeah. So, so Matt, you uh, obviously spent. 28, what, 28, 29 years in the media industry, uh, right in the heart of New York City. So um, we've been talking about on the podcast, um, kind of living in Trump land since the election. The media has been front and center in this whole national conversation. Um, so let me start by asking you, what was the, what was the reaction in the news media to the, uh, the Trump win? Well, I can tell you I was um, inside my network um, on election night, and um, it was like we were covering a state funeral, <laughs> the, the, wow. the mood, and I'm not trying to be funny. No, no. Um, I have ne- I've, I've worked on, um, I, I'm losing track, but I, I, think it's, I think this was my seventh or eighth uh, presidential election. Okay. And um, usually election night is a very, it's an exciting, very energizing, um, almost magical night to be. It's, it's, it's one of the high holy nights right. of for the news journalism. media. Yeah. It really is. It's like, it's the night to be a journalist. And um, 
when we when um when he won Florida, yeah, the mood definitely turned very dark. It was already not optimistic. Hmm. But the mood turned very dark, hmm. and um, it was it was pretty stunning um, watching the panel of of anchors, and you know we had our most senior uh, anchors and correspondents, you know, on on the air on election night, and they all looked so somber it was almost comical. Yeah. Um, in fact, I could probably tell you this. Um, a call was placed from a senior executive directly into the control room that night. And during a commercial break, he ordered the director to uh, pipe his voice into the IFBs of all of the anchors, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. in, into their ears. Mm -hmm. And his message was simple. Stop looking so goddamn depressed. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. It wow. was it was that obvious. <laughs> wow, wow, um, interesting. And which which of course you know as a journalist you know you 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 understand that that is just completely completely not objective. You know right, it, sure. it it you are not supposed to look depressed. <laughs> In fact, so depressed that that a senior executive from the network has just to call you and tell out. you to not look depressed. Wow. Yeah. wow. Um, but that was that was the mood. In fact, and and this is so ridiculous. And this is an um, an indication of how um, the world has changed uh, with millennials. Um, but when we were getting ready to go on the air after the uh, you know after the results were done, uh, we had senior producers who were so distraught they had to leave the control room. And go up into our, um, <laughs> we have a room set aside. Uh, it's a meditation room. And that is how upset they were. They had to go to the meditation room. The safe space. To, to process. Well. I, I have never, I, honestly, <laughs> I've never seen anything so unprofessional. Wow. wow. You know, I understand, I understand that you are emotionally invested. Journalists are I mean, we all have we we all have political beliefs, you sure. know. But we, sure. you know, it's our job to check our biases at the door when right. we go to work. And no matter how hard the story is, and we've all been there, um, you know, nine eleven, plane crashes, um, terror attacks. Just mm -hmm. No matter how horrible it is, um, right. you know, you have to gather your wits and soldier through it, and just you know, and just move forward and get the show on the air. Yeah. Um, in all the years that I've covered so many of, of those tragedies and horrific events, including 9-11. Right. Honestly, at, at C, when I was at CBS on 9-11, I never saw anybody have to leave the control room to go to a meditation room to process. Wow. <laughs> Matt, Matt, do you I, think that that's because there was a, an expectation that he wouldn't win? That, that there, that, yes. Okay. Yes. That, yes. That, and, and that uh, rolls into one of, the, one of the main other problems was the fact that there was this um, – we we in the media, and I'm talking about all of us collectively. Right. Um, we were uh, so presumptive mm -hmm. that Hillary Clinton was going to win. I mean, mm -hmm. we were we were 
we were quite arrogant about it, as a matter of fact. And I distinctly remember when I was writing for one of the main broadcasts in that summer. Actually, not that summer, but the summer before. So this would have been the summer of uh, 2015, whenever uh, Trump first, you know, declared that he was going to run. And we, that's back when we had like 18 Republican candidates and it was getting you know, completely ridiculous. <laughs> yes. I, I was a candidate, actually. I don't know if you <laughs> yeah. noticed. But, but, you know, I actually made a so comment that, beard. you know, we might realistically, I mean, there's a possibility that we could have a President Trump. Mm. And I was so soundly dismissed, um, you know, within the show. And later, as Bernie Sanders started gathering his his, uh, followers, uh, I distinctly remember a story we were doing. We wanted to have a comment from uh, the presidential candidates on... um, you know, the question was, are, are any of them talking about student loans? And I must have said three times, well, Bernie Sanders says X. You know, Bernie Sanders says this. And, mm-hmm. and I was like I was talking to into a vacuum. Like mm. nobody was re- reacting. And finally I said, you know what? I understand that I think that at this network we're supposed to ignore Bernie Sanders. But <laughs> – um, and, and one of the senior producers rolled their eyes at me and said, Matt – don't be such a drama queen. And I said, I'm sorry. I don't think that I'm being dramatic here, but mm. you are refusing to acknowledge that Bernie Sanders is saying something. And 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 then this senior producer had the nerve to say, Well, you know, we you know, we don't have time to cover fringe candidates. And I said, mm, you know what? I wow. I get and at the time I understood what this producer was saying. But at the same time, I said, you know what? I get that, but Bernie Sanders is attracting crowds in the thousands now Mm. at his rallies. Hillary Clinton is barely getting crowds into the hundreds, Mm. and yet we already have an embedded correspondent covering her campaign, and we're completely ignoring these thousands of students coming out to hear Bernie Sanders. It's like we're not even mentioning it. Yes. And that went on for so long, and and we were really caught with our pants down. Mm. So, Matt, in light of that, um, how would you respond to the question, do you feel like the media is out of touch with most Americans? Um, seems like from just that story that you gave that you would say yes. How, how do you see that having impacted the way that the media has you know, kind of continued to cover uh, the whole uh, political scene? Well, wh- one of the problems is, and, and, and when, when, when I talk about the media, understand that I'm talking about the network media, sure. not necessarily the local people, like at KDKA, right. you know, like, sure. it, that, that's a completely different Good old ball. KDKA. <laughs> um, Keeping it real. You know, they're, they're obviously much more in touch because they're working in their communities. Sure, so, right. but, so what I'm talking, and I haven't worked in local media in more than 20 years. I've, I've been, you know, network for the past 22 years. So um, coming from a network point of view, um, the vast majority of network producers, uh, writers, correspondents, anchors, they come from uh, the East Coast. Okay. They are, they are, well, I shouldn't say all of them, but the, uh, the executives also, they come from there. It, it's, it's like an, uh, an exclusive club. Mm. 
Um, everybody kind of went to the same East Coast Ivy Leagues. Um, everybody pretty much grew up, you know, in the shadow of Manhattan. Um, there's there are so many young producers, and and it's it's actually quite uh, incestuous almost. You know, you <laughs> you don't realize that. Oh my gosh! Well, this associate producer and that producer and that senior producer. Well, well, she's the daughter of so and so. Oh well, he's. I didn't realize that. <laughs> He was the nephew of the president, and you know, it's it's just, it really. It, Church you know, runs that way too a lot. Very, <laughs> Same. Yeah, it's 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 very incestuous that way. So, so the problem is you have these people making decisions at the network at these very big, influential network broadcasts who never have really left. Manhattan, hmm. um, yeah. and of course, Manhattan's Manhattanites' ideas of traveling America is getting on a plane and flying to L.A. Um, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> basically everything west of the Hudson until you hit San, <laughs> you know, the San Fernando Valley is flyover country. Oh man. Well, hello from the flyover <laughs> states. Yeah, right. no. we're back but, with know, a vengeance. So, and and one and one of my big <laughs> frustrations was uh, displayed in how we were covering Pennsylvania, mm. um, and being a Pennsylvania native, obviously it it um, it frustrated me even more. But you know, we would go out and we because Pennsylvania was shaping up to be this big swing state. You know, we were doing a lot of coverage. But it was frustrating that it was being covered by correspondents and producers who obviously did not have a whole lot of familiarity with Pennsylvania. Yeah. They get in their trucks and, you know, their, their news trucks, um, and they, you know, set out from Manhattan to drive to Pennsylvania. They drive two hours into the suburbs of Philly, and then they think <laughs> that they know Pennsylvania. Fine, Pennsylvania. <laughs> no, I'll yeah. take you to Oil City. You want to know Pennsylvania? Yes. You know, and and even on take election night, one of, our, one of our Washington correspondents, you know, we like they, he showed this map of Pennsylvania and all the counties and. And he kept saying, "It's like, look at that! Look at that! That that's Allegheny County. That blue." He said, "That's Pittsburgh, folks. That's where." He said, "That county is blue." And I just felt like <laughs> wringing his neck. I'm like, you know what? No, it's only blue because of Pittsburgh. <laughs> right. Yeah, the right. rest of Allegheny County? Are you kidding me? Swickley Heights. Yeah. yeah. Fox Chapel, Upper St. Clair, Bethel Park. Yep, they're Come voting on. Trump. Wexford, Warrendale, yep. it's it's red, red, red. Mm -hmm. But it's it was you know a general misunderstanding of how Pennsylvania works. And then you know whenever they would go and they would talk to the people, and they would talk, it it, it just really irritated me. There would be this. We have we have a female correspondent who, when she was talking to a group of female Trump supporters, the way she asked the question, she she would ask them, she's like, so why are you voting for trump <laughs> and she would have this scowl on her face and it's I like excuse me are you going to ask the are you going to ask a, whole, a, a second set of women who are clinton supporters <laughs> so why are you voting for clinton you know <laughs> can you imagine that question coming out of a network correspondent's no. mouth yeah. with a little with with a sneer so no but it was well, perfectly wait, well, matt, matt it was considered perfectly adequate you know, in right. questioning the Trump supporters. Sure. So my question then, you know, it, it seems as if you're talking about a specific bias in the media, and, and Trump has pinpointed that, and he's become very antagonistic and obstinate towards the media. Um, you know, so, so how... 
How do you respond to that? What, what do you think of that? How do do you think that the networks need to change their approach? Um, just just trying to to see how you you feel like there's there's this dealing with an obstinate president towards the media. Well, I, I don't see that too. there's or people. people in general. Yeah, well, you know what? I I don't see that there's um, anything that the media itself can do. Yeah. Um, the president has to understand that that the media is the media is the media. This yeah. is this is what they're, you know, he needs to be uh, he needs to be more careful about what he says. And now <laughs> yes. that he's Agreed. the president, really? newsflash. Can't <laughs> Matt, just, that is that's wow, that's a little radical. It's, it's one thing thing for him to be able to shoot from the hip and i understand that his whole career his whole life he's been able to just kind of shoot from the hip twitter you know but you know take it from a a fellow bullshitter professional (laughs) bullshitter um we're gonna have to beep you this is a christian podcast i'm gonna have to beep you or i'm gonna get emails (laughs) once you become the president of the united states you can't just shoot from the hip yeah. and and just kind of bullshit your way through things because the media it's their job to hang right. on every word you say and fact check everything right yeah. he sees it he sees the media as picking on him but actually no now that he's not a candidate anymore now that he's the president all the media is focusing on him and it's their job to pick on every single word and fact check and double check because he is the president. Yeah, you can't just say stupid stuff that doesn't make sense. And, and then, go, and oh, then, it's the media. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, because... <laughs> Because you you can and that's manipulation, isn't it? When he uses sometimes his platform to manipulate his people into following his rhetoric and believing what he's saying. Yes. Well, you know, I had a, an interesting conversation just this morning with one of my uh, fellow uh, colleagues, and we were discussing. You know, she made the point of you know she's like, well, you know, he's he just has to stop lying, and I'm like, well. I don't, no, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't call it lying per se. And she's like, no, 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 it's lying. And I said, okay, well, let me put it this way. So I'm, I'm holding this yellow mug, coffee mug. And if I told you that I'm drinking out of a mug that's blue, not yellow, that would be a lie because I'm giving you information that I know not to be true. But if you ask me, where was that mug made? And I just and I just off the top of my head said it was made in Brooklyn by Malaysian immigrants. <laughs> um, now it it that may be the case. It may have been made in Brooklyn by Malaysian immigrants. I don't know, but I just made up that story. Is that really a lie? Right. <laughs> no. It's a deep <laughs> theological question. No. <laughs> I'm just saying whatever comes to the top of my head. Right. Right. Now, before he was president, he was able to get away with that kind of stuff because, in a way, it was almost kind of folksy. Mm -hmm. But, um, like little Mark. Yeah, he could say basically, yeah, so I mean, it's a different day. He's in a different place now. So, 
you know, I think we would all agree around this table that there's a, a bigger responsibility now to to watch every word that you say and how those words affect people. Right. So let, let me ask you this, Matt. So um, this is a you know post Christian pastors podcast where we talk about that we're you know usually four pastors and we use the term post-christian to say that the united states of america is a, a post-christian nation in a lot of ways uh so how do we live as christians we're all these people around the table are all christians how do we how do we live in a way that's um you know a way that's honoring to god but it is also um you know helpful to people and things like that so um we debate those issues around here every podcast so i want to ask you about the media do you feel like do you feel like there's a bias in the media towards uh people of faith towards christians um who tend to be conservative tend to fall on the conservative side um do you feel like there's a bias there or do you feel like there's more of an openness nowadays in the media i mean i know like i watch shows on i watch the show on cnn called finding jesus you know and and they're doing you know shows about jesus so there's obviously some openness there but so i'm asking you like what they have a market yeah yeah they have a market so (laughs) so what do you i mean your overall impression obviously it's a generalization but do you feel like there's an openness or do you feel like there's a bias in that area well, I know a lot of my colleagues um, go to church um, and have faith, but um, generally speaking, among journalists, uh, journalists tend to be very uh, um, jaded and cynical right. mm. towards towards faith. Most pastors Not- are jaded and cynical. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So, go ahead. So, most of the journalists, you would say, are jaded and cynical towards faith. Yes. Yeah. Based on not what? not towards any particular faith, but right. they 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 just you know faith tradition they in just general aren't. is what you're saying. So you feel like they write their stories or whatever from that bias for sure. No, no, I wouldn't say that they write their okay. stories from that bias. I I would say that um, mo- almost all of my colleagues do do a very good job of at least trying to be mindfully objective hmm. whenever they cover the cover their stories um where they where a lot of us fall down is in the uh perhaps maybe the institutional bias or just in terms of um where we came from in the first place uh meaning i wouldn't say that there's a a, uh, a liberal bias or a conservative bias, but there is definitely a corporate bias, hmm. especially for you know among those of us who work in the corporate media. Right, it there's is a business. A corporate bias, and there's definitely a uh, an urban bias. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, because we are in the big cities, and we do tend to bring we have our value systems centered on cities Hmm. not necessarily rural and that's that's where we start getting into a little bit of trouble and maybe not being able to relate to the rest of the country um because we there there is a bit of an urban um city bias that's very interesting that you said that the bias is city or corporate Mm -hmm. i think i think 
Americans tend to think conservative liberal. Right. No, I mean there there is a little bit of that. I mean, I you know I I you know I, there's there's no denying that uh, journalists as a group tend to be more liberal than right. not. Um, but in the newsroom where I work, I I believe that we have a. a fairly decent mix of liberals and conservatives and even libertarians and everybody in between. Um, I know that most c- civilians wouldn't believe that, but that is actually <laughs> true. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you said that, Matt, because I, I don't know if you've read Hillbilly Elegy, but J.D. Vance makes that same that same uh, point. He says that the, the bias is between city and rural. That's yeah. where the real bias uh, yes. in our country is. Yes. yes. And I think that's an important distinction um, because many people want to make it <clears throat> the liberal versus conservative piece, and then that ostracizes people from one another. I mean, y- you just look at the the social media that we have and and the ostracization that happens with uh, nice conservatives word, and liberals. I know is that I know. a word? It is. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's the isation of ostracizing. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but no 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 I mean it, it it's a real thing where where all of a sudden you're not on my team I hate you um, and and you see that even with voting Matt like people are saying I hate that person so much I'm going to vote for this person because they're not on my team and this guy says he's on my team um, uh-huh. and I just I just think that's absolutely ridiculous so thank you for that distinction I think it's an an important distinction uh, and and is geographical rather than ideological. Well, and another another big difference um, with now versus in years past that I find to be um, very frustrating and um, a little bit frightening is the fact that we have become, as a society, uh, we have become so polarized. Yeah. And I have found generally that um, for as much as the people on the left uh, scream about intolerance and bigotry coming from the right. Uh, generally, I have, I see more intolerance and bigotry coming from the left. Yeah. Hmm. Um, during the campaign, um, I can honestly say that I do not recall ever seeing a Trump supporter trying to win over a, a Clinton supporter or browbeating a Clinton supporter or asking the Clinton supporter to justify their position and how could you possibly vote for this person because X, Y, and Z, and she did this and she did that. That is generally not how Trump supporters were. Trump supporters just quietly supported their, their guy and did not – you know, try to attack the Clinton supporters. Now, I'm not talking about what was going on at rallies. That's yeah. a completely different thing. I'm yeah, talking about like just in general, Roman just Coliseum. in discourse with other people. But, oh my God, as soon as a Clinton supporter finds out that you're a Trump supporter, then, then the questions, hmm. then the attacks. Well, how could you possibly X? How could you possibly Y? Does does this mean that you hate black people? Does you know? It's it's just. It, it was just. Hmm. It, there is so much intolerance, and of course, that's you know that. 
it's it's just so hypocritical that the people who are supposed to be so liberal and so understanding were the ones who were even more closed-minded than the people they were accusing of being bigots on the right. Hmm. Yeah. So Matt, to, to wrap up to wrap up this interview, I want to ask you: Do you feel like there's any? Do you feel like there's been any lessons learned? Do you feel like um, anything when when it comes to you know we're all living in Trump land now, uh, <laughs> whether we like it or not, we're all living in Trump land. Do you feel like there's been any lessons learned, maybe on how the media interacts with different people, or I, I don't know? Do you feel like there's been any good things that have come out of that? Well, I think the um, the main good thing is that uh, the the media got a, a rude awakening, hmm. and uh, that we we cannot be um, as arrogantly self assured as we have been in the past, uh -huh. uh, and that we should never underestimate Americans, hmm. and we should also understand that. Americans is plural. It's <laughs> all of us. It's right. not just our target demo, uh, <laughs> the people who we think we're demo. trying to reach or yeah. the people who we want to reach or who we really want to be on our audience. We need to realize that our viewing audience is all Americans and everybody thinks differently and yeah. we need to respect um you know other you know uh, other people's opinions this is actually getting back to the uh, a point that i was was going to make earlier um and it's the fact that uh, nowadays it's um it's very frustrating that it's if someone is not on your team then and i'm seeing this coming from the left more than the right but it, they just immediately shut down all discourse yeah. They just they refuse they refuse to validate your opinions they refuse to agree to disagree um, they because there's this presumption that they have the moral high ground and because they have the moral high ground you are automatically wrong and I don't need to discuss anything with you <laughs> yeah and we're seeing a lot of that yeah. and I I'm afraid that that President Trump. Uh, maybe exacerbating that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Matt. So Matt. So has the, like has your stock gone up in the newsroom? The guy from the Rust Belt, <laughs> Beaver County, and they turn to you and go, "You're the token kid from the Rust Belt. Tell us, tell us your wisdom." I mean, has it has your stock gone up or gone down in the oh, newsroom? You know, let me tell you, it, it, it's just I I do what I can just to just to fly below the radar. <laughs> is, yeah. Well, no, you can take the kid out of Beaver County, but you can't take Beaver County out of the kid. I'm, right? I'm telling you, and it's 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 actually a little bit chilling. It's you know mm. because you know if 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 you don't think like everybody else, and it's um you know it's it it, it can be extremely uncomfortable for you. Wow. And so I find a, a lot of people inside the newsroom are just do are doing just that. There are so many closet Trump people <laughs> working inside all the networks. And they are they are so deep in the closet. It's it's like it it's like gays in 1960, man. I, I mean, it's wow. just they're in the like bathroom no going. I voted that for Trump. Door. They're in the they're in the stall. I voted for Trump. <laughs> did, did you too? Did you vote for Trump? 
<laughs> okay, well, hey Matt, thanks for your thanks for your amazing thanks for your amazing uh, insider uh, look at at that whole thing. But we want to play a game with you. All right, you want to play a game? Sure. All right, sure. we call this game Ten Bad Questions. Okay, so we ask you just random questions, and you just answer off the top of your head. They can be incredibly weird, incredibly bad. Well, they're all bad, yeah. but, you know, some are kind of bad. We blame these all on Mark. We blame them on me. I write them. So you can blame me. Um, so uh, I'm going to say cue the music because we had it in post-production. So cue the music, and uh, here we go. So I'll start off, and I'll ask you the first question and just say whatever comes to your mind all right all right so if you were going to create some fake news (laughs) what would you be what would you make what would it be what fake news story would you create um richard nixon isn't dead (laughs) (laughs) that's a that's a good one i like that's a good fake news all right we're off all millennial listeners out there they don't know who richard nixon is (laughs) that's not true as the token millennial (laughs) what would you do what would you what would you say happened to him where has he been all this time Oh, he's been in Palm Springs, (laughs) where everybody else goes to disappear for long periods of time in the sun. Palm Springs, Argentina with the Nazis. Um, Yes. (laughs) All right, number two. Number two. Have you ever taken your Emmy to bed with you? Ah, have you ever slept in your bed with the Emmy? Uh, no. And, <laughs> and there's two reasons for that. Um, the Sharp. wings, the wings of the angel are almost are like knives. They're like daggers. They're very sharp. Um, and really my awkward. statue is actually at my office downtown, so it's 13 miles away from my bed. Okay. Nice. Okay. So do you polish the statue? Do you keep it? You keep it looking nice. Do you, do you no, show it off? No, because it's gold. No, because it's twenty-four karat gold oh. plated. You know, gold doesn't tarnish. Mm. Never needs to be polished. Nice. Oh. All right, number three. Uh, number three. Who is your favorite all-time newscaster? Ooh, he's Jessica Savage. Jessica oh, Savage. Wow. I don't even think I remember her. Mine was Tom Brokaw. Tom's a very nice man. <laughs> Hello, welcome. You ever hear Jimmy Fallon do Tom Brokaw? What about Walter Cronkite? Cronkite? What? Okay, you're definitely millennial. It's Cronkite. I I adjusted myself (laughs) on live air here. You did? I did. (laughs) I tried to before you went. (laughs) Do you know? I can actually say that I did write for Cronkite once. He came out of retirement for like the some kind of big anniversary for CBS Radio, and I got to write a story for the hourly that he anchored. That's just for cool. that day for the anniversary. So I yes, I can say that I wrote for Cronkite. Wow, very that's cool. That's the way it was. Is that Cronkite? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that that was his sign off. Yeah. That's the way it was. No, he doesn't. No, no, he doesn't no like and that. that's the way it is. <laughs> oh, that's it the way it is. Is my was is we give the date forever on will this be this Friday, March twenty fifth, nineteen seventy eight. That's the way it is, right? There you go. Yes. Right. Good job. All right, number four. Would you rather meet Taylor Swift or Kanye? So they're you know they're always in some kind of feud together. <laughs> Taylor Swift or Kanye? Which one? Uh, can I say neither? <laughs> you can. Yes. Really? Yeah. You're going to go neither? Neither. Really. Okay. Neither. No, no Taylor Swift. Who have you met that's come in the studio? Anybody? Anyone um, famous? 
Uh, actually, you know, the guy who I, I rare, I never, ever, ever have my photo taken with a celebrity except this once. And that was Morgan Spurlock. He oh, yeah. totally rocks. Oh, I love him. Huh. He is, even though he's entertainment, he does more real journalism than a lot of what journalists do today, nice. you know. I love his, the way he, I, I just love his, he's such a brilliant documentarian. Nice. Love Morgan Spurlock. All right. All right, Matt, when you want to be a tourist, what is your favorite tourist attraction in New York City? Um, well, the, uh, the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center were always my favorite. Mm. So I haven't really found a replacement yet, even though it's been like 16 years. Yeah. Um, wow. So actually the Brooklyn Bridge. I'll say the Brooklyn Bridge. I always take people across the Brooklyn Bridge. Brooklyn Bridge. There you go. Yes. All right. Number six, you get the best question. Yeah. Bro. Number six. If you could run your fingers through President Trump's hair or Joel Osteen's hair, which one would you choose? <laughs> <laughs> We've asked this question to almost everybody. Um, you only I get one, man. Joel, I think Joel Olstein, <laughs> um, but only if I can wear gloves <laughs> for all the gel. <laughs> the gel. Yeah, well, I'm pretty and sure Olstein's a little bit afraid real, of what so. I would find under there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I think I'd still do the Trump. All right, uh. number seven. What is your favorite Pittsburgh word? What is your favorite unique Pittsburgh word? Um, hmm. you can go red up your room. Yins. Go, yins, go down to the crick. Spicket. 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 Oh, yes. I like that one. That's a good one. Nobody spicket. ever spicket. says spicket in New York. It drives me crazy. <laughs> That's an awesome one. I didn't even think of that. Spicket. I'm going to go over to the spicket and get a drink of water. Down there. Down there on the south side. Down to spicket. Right, Matt, I have to apologize for this question because I don't know where Mark got this, but uh, do you like the Geico commercial where the raccoons are eating stuff that tastes bad? And did you, have you ever killed a raccoon? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't actually see... I haven't seen commercials in years. Oh, my God. You just skipped the commercial. I don't, working. I don't watch commercial television anymore. Netflix. Um, you ever seen the Geico commercial where the, they're eating the raccoons trash. are like eating trash yeah, and they're like, oh, this tastes horrible. You got to try it. You got to try it. Honestly, I... I just I have I haven't seen commercials in in years, nice. so I don't I don't know. I'm not familiar. Like and and whether I've killed a raccoon? No, I haven't killed a raccoon. Well, I guess you don't drive in New York City. No, I've killed well, a few, no, but I can't say how on City, this podcast. There are no raccoons here. <laughs> yeah, there's no rac- <laughs> I've I killed a few. I've nine. killed a few, there, but there I are, cannot say there are rats the size of raccoons, but no raccoons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, I look, honey, that's a raccoon. No, it's a rat. Yeah. Question number nine is: What is the weirdest thing you have seen on the New York City subway? Um. Keep it PG. <laughs> oh. Okay. No, you don't have to keep it PG. PG thirteen. PG thirteen. <laughs> well, I don't. I wouldn't say that this is weird, but it was. You know, one of the more disturbing um, was the guy who was taking a dump on the IR on the 7th oh. Avenue IRT. Oh man. <laughs> oh, wow. You wouldn't call that weird? <laughs> no, because it happens more often than you think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Hey, when, is, you, uh, when you gotta go, you gotta yeah. go. I mean. After that, the raccoons came around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> raccoons around. Although now. I will say this, you know, we get, you know, there's a lot of panhandlers and they tend to like work different cars. And since I moved from from Brooklyn Heights to uptown, I'm I'm no longer on the um on the 7th Avenue IRT Express, which is the 2 or the 3, as much as I used to be. But there used to be this woman who would have this spiel, she would always be pregnant, and she's like, hi, my boyfriend kicked me out, and I'm pregnant, and blah, blah, blah. pregnant. (laughs) Well, just last summer, I happened to be on the 2 train, and here she is. She comes out, now she has, her hair is grayer and everything, still pregnant. And (laughs) so this woman who's standing next to me is getting getting her purse out and I said just so you know she's been pregnant with this same kid since 1997 (laughs) (laughs) and the woman heard it just as I said it it was it was classic she unleashed a torrent of profanities at me and I just looked at her and I'm like I'm sorry but you need fresher material (laughs) (laughs) you gotta work on your act lady this is New York City I think she doesn't expect that people are there yeah. like people, regularly. People, I see you every <laughs> Everyone's Everyone's a tourist. Everybody's a tourist. All right. Finally, Matt, number 10. Will Trump make it four years? Will Trump make it four years? Yes or no? Yes. All right. He goes for the wow. yes. Trump is in. So three and a half more years of Trump land. Will he make it eight years? Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a better question. Well, I you know what? I stranger things have happened. Yes, you know? yes they have. I you know the, the the same people in inside the media who are absolutely dismissing the idea of an 8-year Trump administration are the same people who completely <laughs> dismiss the idea of a president Trump in the first place. Right. Yep. Nice. All right, Matt. Hey, thanks for your time. We really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for playing 10 Bad Questions. Thanks for giving us your insight. Thanks for keeping it real for Beaver County there in New oh, York sure. City right. in the big NYC. Don't don't ever let them forget small-town America. And uh, we uh, would love to have you on. So thanks for being around, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for Thank being you. here. And uh, we will be back here on Post-Christian Pastors in a minute to wrap things up. And we're back here on Post-Christian Pastors. Wow, a lot of stuff. A lot of, a lot of stuff in Trump Man. land. Mm-hmm. Trump land. And we didn't even scratch the surface. <laughs> Sadly. So we've got a lot of material uh, going forward. We might even have too much material for for one podcast. So you might want to check. We might cut this into a couple or a bonus or whatever. So when you uh, get this up on your Podbean or wherever you're downloading from, Podcast Addict or iTunes, make sure you check. There might be a little additional thing that you can download too. So, hey guys, what do you think? Wrapping up, we had Matt, a uh, great in, insider perspective. Yeah, Matt was really good. Can't yeah. get much more insider than Matt. I no. mean, he's been there for 20 some. He's an old guy there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like he said, I'm working with all these millennials. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> 
token millennial right <laughs> token here. millennial um so uh so you know he was he gave us a great perspective i think of maybe even looking at things a little different than just liberal mm-hmm. conservative yeah. or yep. or uh you know it was, it was neat to hear that you know a lot of the people that he works with go to church they're yeah they're involved in a church or they're you mm-hmm. know in some some ways getting some spiritual uh stuff you know poured into them at some point right. now, yeah don't really know what that is but but um it's an interesting time in our culture. It's uh, an interesting time to be a follower. I think I think to be a follower of Jesus right now, you've got to be, uh, how does Jesus put it, as wise as serpents and, and innocent as, as doves. As doves. Yeah. And yeah. Um, man, that's a good verse to hold mm-hmm. on to right now because we could fall into some of the things you talked about, like nationalism, uh, just bad theology, mm-hmm. um, I think you know these kind of things where immigration and refugees and things that are causing us to have to really know what we're talking about and really know you know kingdom of God preaching yeah you know like what is what does the kingdom require of us not yeah. does what is it just America require mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah I think that's so important you know you know we need to keep the right place our our position in the in, in, in the right order right we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God yep. as as Christians that's right. what the bible tells us right that we are first and foremost you know citizens of the kingdom of God first first and america is not the same thing america is not the same <laughs> thing and then we are part of the body of Christ the church mm-hmm. that's our secondary like the church and kingdom are actually not they're they they're connected but they're not exactly the same thing so Absolutely. we're in the kingdom then the church then <laughs> We are citizens of whatever country that we live in. Right. Wherever you're hearing this from, people might be hearing this from. Right. They, they do. They do listen. Yeah, all over. Yeah. In other countries. Right. So. And so, so we're so we have to, as Christians, we have to keep that in mind that we yeah. are first and foremost, our allegiance is to King Jesus. Right. Right. As in, in, and we live in His kingdom, and then we are members of His church. Right. And then we are citizens. Of whatever country that we live right. in, right, and the and the kingdom of heaven's rule is is overruling of the law of the land, if you will, and, and I think it's a it's a good point to and make. That's the only kingdom that will never fall, right? And <laughs> Every good, other kingdom is going to fall. Yep. It's true, and, even and America. Th- yeah, it's true. I, I think we also need to make the I distinction. Know it's blasphemy. Every every time I say something, he's interrupting me. In Trump land, that's blasphemy. I just I just said blasphemy. Yeah. Well, anyways, sorry. If I can finish my thought. Well, um, what was that? Yeah. No. Thanks. I think we need. And so to I think. <laughs> Go ahead, Barb. The millennials getting shut out. Um, I think that we need to have a theology of of presence, not a theology of escapism. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when we think of the kingdom of God, when we think of the kingdom of God and we're citizens of heaven, many people think, oh, well, I'll I'll get the the full fruits of of that or even a semblance of the fruits of that when I get to heaven. Mm -hmm. But we're citizens of the kingdom of God now. Uh, And and as you even talked about the prayer that Jesus challenges us to pray as it is in heaven here on earth. Uh, So that means that part of the kingdom of God, if not in its totality, can be here. Many people are longing for heaven, uh, and they don't do anything in the present. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they, they just have this escapist theology. Right. Can't that, lose that. Right. Right. No, our longing for heaven should actually have us more engaged here. In, yeah, yeah. C.S. Lewis Absolutely. talked about that. Right. Actually, yeah. it was a great quote by yeah. C.S. Lewis. So it's it's an imperative distinction, I think, that we need to make. Yep. 
Good stuff, guys. Good stuff. Love being back with you guys. Same. Lots of fun. We're going to go eat. (laughs) So, so, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Post-Christian Pastors. If you want to check us out, go to Facebook. Find us on there, or you can use almost any podcast downloader to find us and put us on your iPad or iPod or your car or wherever else you listen to stuff. Or your Samsung. Or your Samsung phone, like I have. So, hey, we're checking out. We're out of here. Thanks for joining us again. Hopefully, we'll be back sooner than five months. So, (laughs) we will. Don't let that Samsung burn your leg. We will. Hey, Mike, we miss you. See ya. We'll see you soon, Mike. All right, guys, say goodbye. Bye. Peace out. We're out. Bye.